Well, this morning we're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke and see how the new moment of the new covenant is upon us. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, our great King, we confess you are the Messiah, uh, the one who has ushered in the great time of God's blessing, uh, the promised time where the hills will drip with wine, where there will be feasting and gladness, uh, all because of what you have done, Lord Jesus, providing everything that our souls need to no longer be stuck in our sorrow, but instead to have a reason to celebrate, that we are right with God and that we will feast in his presence forever, one day. Uh, Jesus, this morning as we hear your word, would you open our hearts? Uh, would we be ready for the moment that you have brought as our Messiah? Help us not to miss it. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. There were some very hard, hard days for the United Kingdom during World War II. Uh, effectively, they were under siege for the course of several years. That meant food, very basic necessities, were hard to come by. Uh, that's why there was a very public, uh, very well-known effort to dig for victory. They called them victory gardens. Uh, everyday citizens were called to take part in the war effort by going and doing something maybe they hadn't ever done, getting their hands dirty, planting gardens so they might have something to eat. Uh, people who lived through those days remember those gardens, and they remember the days of not having enough to go around, days of sorrow, lots of days of sadness. Uh, all that changed, though, on May the 8th, 1945. Uh, Nazi Germany had officially surrendered to the Allies, and the government in England officially de declared on the 8th it to be Victory Day, a day no longer for fasting and sorrow, now a day for feasting and celebration. As a matter of fact, the government had to make sure that there was enough food to go around for the celebration. They did not officially announce the national holiday until they made sure there was enough bunts and beer for everyone to eat and feast on. You know, there's a moment that's fit for feasting and a moment fit for fasting. Uh, it's a great tragedy to mistake the moment you're living in and miss out on the celebration. Uh, that was the case for some very religious people living in Jesus' day. Our passage this morning brings us to the first of the series of run-ins between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, there were people filled with religious zeal. They, they knew the word of God inside and out. But in the great tragedy, they missed the moment of the Messiah's coming. Uh, they weren't ready for the moment of feasting because they were content in their moment of fasting. Uh, as we look at the way they miss Jesus, we'll learn a lesson ourselves. How we can avoid making the same mistake and be ready for that moment of Messiah Jesus and the things he brings. Uh, we'll see that in three sections as we move through the passage this morning. Uh, first, we'll see that in order to know this moment's upon us, it requires a new attitude in 33 through 35. Requires a new attitude. Uh, second, it requires new expectations. It brings with it new expectations in 36 through 38. 
And then finally in verse 39, it requires a new set of taste buds because it has a whole new flavor to it. A whole new flavor. And I hope at the end of it, none of us will miss the moment the Messiah Jesus has brought and the celebration of the new era that he has ushered in. Let's begin in that first section, verses 33 through 35. It requires a new attitude. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us much about the setting, which means we're carrying over from the last passage. You might remember that Jesus and the Pharisees had a run-in. He was at Levi's house having a party and hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And that meant the Pharisees were grumbling about the people Jesus chose to associate with. Well, now the setting is the same. We're still talking to Pharisees, but they're no longer grumbling about the people around Jesus. They're grumbling about the things that Jesus and his disciples don't do. Uh, Namely, they don't fast when it's expected of them. In verse 33, and they said to him, uh, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. It's a question disguised as a statement. They say, Jesus, we made an observation. Uh, the disciples of John, all the religiously zealous, like the Pharisees, they, they fast and they pray regularly. Why don't you and your disciples is the implication. Now you have to understand the expectations. If you were a religious person in those days, if you were a good Jew, you were expected to fast. Uh, Fasting, abstaining from food and drink for a spiritual purpose. Uh, At least twice a year, a good Jew would do that. There were special times like the Day of Atonement where they did that together as a nation. Uh, You were also expected to do it at certain occasions in your life. If you were in a time of great grief. Or maybe you were demonstrating your repentance. You showed your severity and your sobriety. Your seriousness to God by abstaining from food. By being severe on your body in this way. Well, in addition to all this, by this point, the rabbis had figured out that, wait a second, if, if fasting is a good spiritual discipline to do, well then surely a good religious person should fast very regularly. Like let's say every Monday and every Thursday. And so good religious Jews fasted twice a week on Monday and Thursday. That was a mark of being zealous. So all the people that were known for being serious religious people were doing this. Certainly the, uh, the Pharisees as well as John uh, the Baptist's disciples. So Jesus and his disciples, well, they stand out because they are not engaging in this expected religious behavior. In essence, he's being asked, Jesus, what sort of rabbi are you? If you and your disciples don't even do this basic spiritual thing. But Jesus isn't the sort of rabbi they're expecting. He's a very different sort of rabbi altogether. He is, in fact, the Messiah. And Jesus knows the moment that the Messiah has brought His answer to them in verse 34 and 35 reveals this moment. He uses the imagery of a wedding. And Jesus said to them, uh, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. 
as Jesus so often does, he uses an everyday scenario. Everyone would have known how a wedding went back then. Uh, Weddings were multi-day affairs. They were undoubtedly times of feasting, not fasting. Uh, People celebrated bringing together a husband and a wife. And in so doing, there was lots and lots of food and drink and revelry to be had. It was so much understood that a wedding banquet was not a time to fast that rabbis actually went out of their way to teach as such. They said, even if you were under obligation to fast for some other reason, if you're at a wedding, you are exempt. Jesus says, uh, you don't go to a wedding. No one does this. No one goes to a wedding and sits there with a grumbling stomach and a scowl on their face. Because a wedding is a time for feasting, not fasting. Now there's another layer to this because wedding imagery is all over the prophets. If you you take the time to go through books like Hosea, uh, you'll see that God often describes himself as the, the bridegroom, the husband that will marry his people Israel. And so as Jesus uses this picture, we already are getting messianic overtones to what he is saying. Uh, This moment of joy that Jesus is talking about is in fact the arrival of the Messiah. The moment that has come that Jesus has brought. Uh, Now that moment of celebration though, it won't always be that way. There's a a darker hue to the second part of the picture. uh, And that's of the bridegroom being ripped away from the wedding party. He says uh, that you can't mourn as long as the groom's there, but, but if people show up and they, they take him away by force, maybe a group of soldiers or his enemies, well, at that point, that party would go from a time of feasting to a time of fasting. Uh, this, of course, is a foreshadowing to what's going to happen to Jesus and his disciples. As Jesus is taken away, ripped from them, by cruel Roman soldiers, and eventually crucified to die on the cross. That that would not be a moment of joy and feasting, but a moment of sorrow, and yes, fasting. Jesus knows precisely what's coming, and he's preparing his disciples for that moment. Now, Jesus' point in telling this uh, parable to the Pharisees is to get across this idea. That there's a new moment that's upon them. A a moment fit for feasting, not for fasting. A moment to be joyful, a moment not to be sorrowful. Now, as Christians, sometimes we know or struggle what to do with our emotions. Uh, There's lots and lots of parts in the Bible that tell us to rejoice and be happy. And, And sometimes Christians think that that's the only emotion they should experience. Uh, But realize that we're in a slightly different position than the disciples, even as Jesus describes here. Uh, We're actually living in a moment of both feasting and fasting. Uh, I realize that we don't have Jesus here with us. He was ripped away from his disciples, being taken to the cross. And then he was resurrected from the dead and then taken away in a different way to go up to heaven itself. Uh, That means we don't have the physical Lord Jesus, the Messiah, walking and talking with us day to day. We live in a world filled with brokenness and sin. There are lots and lots of days where Christians will find their, their eyes filled with tears and their heart filled with sorrow. And yet, at the same time, we know 
that even though Jesus isn't here with us physically, he's here with us by his spirit. Uh, We also know that our eternal futures are secure and that one day Jesus will come back and he'll usher in a special day of feasting, a great wedding banquet, the greatest feast that goes on forever for God and his people. And all of us as Christians will be invited. Uh, That means that we as Christians always have a reason to both fast and to feast. Uh, One of the things I love about corporate worship on Sundays, like what we get doing this Sunday, is we get to express the full range of emotions in our worship of Jesus. Uh, We sing songs, old hymns in the minor key, that talk about dark providence and the difficult struggle of the Christian life, and that's appropriate. And, And we sing glorious songs of praise of the resurrection life in Jesus and the the world to come, and that's appropriate. Uh, No matter whether you're an optimist like me, and it feels like you're always trying to find a reason to describe this moment as a mountaintop or a pessimist who, who thinks that you're always in the deep darkness of a valley, in worship, we get to together experience this full range of emotions, of the moment that our Messiah Jesus has brought us, a a moment, yes, of both feasting and fasting. Uh, Now, just a a note, if you're an optimist like me, you should be careful not to just be glib about life. In an effort to help people to be happy, sometimes I know I fall victim to this. I kind of try to gloss over the hard things in life and and just... uh, tritely tell people to to perk up. And yet there is a right tone of joy that should always be present in our hearts, no matter how difficult a circumstance may truly be. Because Messiah Jesus has brought this new moment, and Jesus has risen from the dead. And one day he's coming back for a day of forever feasting. This new moment Jesus brings requires a new attitude. But there's a second thing it requires. It brings a new set of expectations. That's what we see in verses 36 through 38. Read with me verse 36. Uh, He also told them another parable. Uh, No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the peace from the new will not match the old. It's very important to realize when expectations are changing on you. Uh, my dad was an airline pilot his whole working life. And he had the opportunity to work for several different airlines. So I, I got to hear lots and lots of stories about how one set of planes flew or what it was like flying into one particular airport. Uh, one experience my dad had was going with a group of one pilots from one airline, Eastern Airlines, to a new airline, United Airlines. Uh, Eastern was closing down, so a whole bunch of United pilots ended up in training, uh, Eastern pilots ended up in training for United. So they were all having this shared experience of learning to do things the new way. Now, it's amazing in airlines, even flying the same plane for a different airline is a vastly different experience. There are different procedures and manuals, and and you almost have to forget everything you knew and start over. 
Well, my dad tells the story of how one particular pilot friend of his just could not get his head around that a new moment was upon him. Uh, he kept on interrupting the trainer in the midst of the training and saying, uh, Sir, sir, at the old airline we did it this way. I think that's better. Eventually, my dad pulled him aside and said, Hey, buddy, if you want a job, you'll learn to do it the new way. Be quiet. A new moment is upon you. It's so important to realize when expectations have changed, right? Well, Jesus gives a, a set of two parables to describe how the old way of doing things is not going to work for this new moment the Messiah has brought. Uh, that first parable was of laundry. Uh, weddings require so many clothes. Uh, certainly you know the importance of tuxes and certainly the wedding dress. You, you got to look your finest on a wedding day. 2,000 years doesn't change that. And so it's important to know how to care for those clothes. Uh, Jesus says no one would do this. No one would take a brand new picture perfect garment and rip a big old hole in it just to get a patch for an old holy garment. Uh, that would be wasteful and it would be futile. Uh, first off, the, the new garment's probably worth more than the old one. But even worse, if you know about garments and uh, clothes shrinking when they're washed, you realize that this is a completely pointless exercise. Uh, have you ever had that experience of putting a new shirt into the laundry and maybe not putting the exact right setting and your large shirt comes out extra medium as a result? Well, that was happening back then too. If you took a piece of cloth that had been washed multiple times and had shrunk as small as it was gonna get, and then you took a patch, a brand new cloth never been washed, and you put it on to that old cloth and then you wash the whole thing, the patch will shrink, the whole garment won't, and you'll end up with a bigger hole than what you started with. Jesus tells a, the same basic idea with another parable, but this time using wineskins. Verse 37, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Uh, another of everyday occurrence. But people back then would drink wine as a, a very common beverage and you have to have the right sort of jug to carry it in. Uh, they would use animal skins as they're carrying vessels. But there were two types of wine. There was the new wine, very sweet. It had not yet fermented. Uh, that meant when you put it into the jug, it would give off gases and put pressure on that vessel. Uh, that's why you had to use new wine skins. That's new animal hides made into jugs which were still elastic enough to handle the pressure. If you took that new wine and put it in an old wine skin, that old animal skin didn't have the elasticity needed. It would spring a leak. It would make a giant mess, destroy your wine skin, and make sure you had nothing to drink when you wanted it. As a result, old wine had to go in old wine skins, and new wine had to go in new wine skins. Now, Jesus' point in these two parables is essentially the same. A new moment brings with it new expectations. Uh, you can't take Jesus and try and bolt him on to the old way of doing things in Judaism. 
You can't take Jesus and try and bottle him up in the old strictures and rules that Jews used to follow. Now, Jesus brings with him a new moment, and that requires a new covenant with new expectations. Part of my spiritual journey is that my family uh, was a part of a corner of the Christian church called Seventh-day Adventism. If you don't know much about Adventists, uh, they're generally wonderful people. They uh, love the Bible. They love Jesus. Um, They do have a very strong emphasis on some Old Testament practices, though. For instance, Adventists uh, very strongly believe that you must keep the Sabbath and you must keep it on Saturday. And they go back to a bunch of Old Testament passages to to prove that the Sabbath is on Saturday. It's forever that way. Uh, They also have a large emphasis on what you eat saying that you have to keep many of the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Now, uh, I think most of the people who do that do it with a good heart, thinking that this is what it means to believe the whole Bible. But friends, if you try to bolt on Jesus, you try to bottle him up onto the Old Covenant, all you do is make a mess of things. It just doesn't work. A new covenant brings with it new expectations. And our Messiah Jesus fulfilled the entire law. And he brought with him a change in eras. A a, a time where, yes, we we still take all of the word of God. And we still have all of it applied to us in some way. But now it comes through Jesus. So that we are now not under the old law. But under the new law. The law of liberty. Liberty. Now, my guess is most of you don't struggle with the question of, should I keep the old Jewish way of doing things as an everyday struggle? uh, Maybe a few of you do, but most of us don't struggle with that. But my guess is that almost all of us would struggle with the temptation to bolt Jesus on or bottle him up with some way of worldly living. Uh, Friend, you, you can't take Jesus And try to just bolt him on to your self-help philosophy. Uh, You can't try and turn Jesus into your self-help coach. Who always tells you how to live your best life now. If you'll just follow these few principles. So your self-esteem is always on the mountaintop. Uh, If you do that, you'll ruin what The Bible reveals about Jesus and you'll just make a mess of your life. Uh, You can't take Jesus and try and bottle him up in some sort of social justice worldview. Uh, You can't imagine Jesus as a great revolutionary who has come to be the leader of your pet cause. Uh, uh, To do that will just burst your philosophy at its seams and make a total mess of your life. Uh, Jesus can't be bottled up. He can't be bolted on. He has to be taken on his terms. Uh, That means believing the whole Bible and what it says. That he has fulfilled the Old Testament. And that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And that what he wants much more than your health, wealth, and happiness is your holiness. So friends, let's be the sort of church. that doesn't try to take Jesus and patch him on to some other way of thinking. doesn't try to fit him into some other container that this world might give us. Let's take Jesus on his terms. And let's come to grips with the reality. That's going to make us pretty strange to the world around us. 
Uh, just like the Pharisees are going to struggle to take Jesus and, and catch the moment that he's brought as Messiah, the world is going to struggle with this idea that they have to take all of Jesus on his terms and not just the pieces they want to pick and choose and mix and match of him. Well, the first two things we've seen, new moment from our Messiah, need a new attitude, there'll be new expectations, and then finally, this new moment has a new flavor to it, a new flavor to it. That's what we see in verse 39. Uh, This one is no longer a parable, now it's a, a proverb, kind of a saying. Jesus tells them, no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. Now I have to admit, when I started studying this passage this week, this last verse stuck out like a sore thumb. What in the world is going on here? I mean, we had this whole thing about new wine being good and new wineskins and all that. And then we get to verse 39 and all of a sudden, the old is good. What, did Jesus like have one of those brain fart moments? He forget what he was talking about? Like what's going on? Well, as I was studying it, as you might expect, Jesus made no mistake. And in fact, what he's saying is quite profound. Jesus realizes exactly who he's talking to. Uh, He's talking to some religious people that love things the way they are. That love it so much that they won't even considering taking a taste of the new moment that the Messiah has brought. Jesus is speaking to religious Pharisees. Uh, They know the word. They know the revelation that God has entrusted to his people. They know how to keep all the laws. And yet they are not willing to even consider that things might need to change for the better. Uh, There was a expectation running through the prophets Uh, That one day Messiah would come. And that in his coming, things would change. Uh, The moment that you were living in would be totally different. No longer a time of fasting, but a time of feasting. I can give you a lot of examples. Let me show you just one. This is Jeremiah 31, verses 12 through 14. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give, the, give them gladness for sorrow. I will, I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. What a great tragedy. To know the revelation of God To have the word of God, which speaks powerfully of this great day of celebration. And in the moment it comes, to totally miss it. All because you like things the way they are. Uh, Even though they knew the word of God, they rejected the word of God incarnate when he came right in front of their face. 
Uh, even they, though they knew they were God's people, they rejected the true chosen one, the son of God, when he came and spoke directly to them. Even though they undoubtedly knew the teaching of the great day of feasting to come, they were content in their day of fasting. And as a result, they missed the Messiah in the moment he brings it. Brothers and sisters, we must not be so content in the old that we miss the good new when it comes. Uh, now, it's not lost on me the reality of the fact that the new moment that Jesus brought at this point where we are living is in fact very, very old. Uh, the new covenant that he established in his blood, the church he founded, the new era for God's people, well, it has been around for 2,000 years and counting. So from our perspective, this new moment is in fact very, very old. And yet it's new in a different sense. Because it's the latest and greatest. And in fact, the last word from God to his people. It is in fact this messianic time of blessing that God's people have been waiting for. And we get to live in the midst of it. What a privilege. None of us should want to miss the moment of Jesus and the things he brings. Of the time of fasting that has started now and will one day go on forever at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're not someone who calls Jesus your Lord and Savior and who has repented of your sins, then, then friend, you are in danger of having that very thing happen to you. I want to speak to you for just a moment, friend. I don't know the specifics of your life, uh, but I wonder if some of the ways you have been living have started to lose their appeal. Uh, maybe the flavor of your life has gone from something that seems sweet to something with an aftertaste that's bitter. Uh, if so, friend, that's not God being mean or angry to you. It's actually a mercy. Because what you need most of all is to know the moment you're living in and to know the one who brought it, this Messiah named Jesus. Uh, if any of us were left on our own, our lives would lead to the same destination, away from God, under his judgment, a forever of sorrow in hell. That's the just penalty our sins deserve. And yet God is full of mercy and even love. Uh, he sent his son Jesus, this Messiah, so that we can no longer live under this doom, but instead be saved out of it. Uh, Jesus gave his life as a substitute for sinners of all types. Uh, anyone who repents, turns from their sins, and, and turns to Jesus in faith will find Jesus to be all they need to be right with God. Friend, if you do that, you will find your life transformed. Your heart will go from a place of spiritual fasting and sorrow to a place of eternal feasting and joy. Uh, because Jesus has guaranteed you eternal life if you'll come to the Father through him in faith. Uh, friend, if you don't know how to do that after the service, I would love to talk with you. Or just if you have a Christian in your life that you can talk to, just ask them, how can I know Jesus the way the preacher was talking about? I'm sure they would love to explain to you. And I know this, 
The reception you will receive both in heaven and on earth will be a warm one. Because the church of Jesus, the body of Christ, is a place for feasting. And we'd love for you to join us as well. Uh, Brothers and sisters, would you know the moment you're living in? And would you also know the moment that's coming for you as a Christian? Uh, You've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You've already begun to develop a new set of tastes. A taste for the world to come. A taste for the fine things at the Lord's table of that great feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb coming. So would you forsake all the worldly appetites that tempt you? Uh, Would you push them away, not just because it's your duty, but because you have a taste for something so much better? You know the Messiah has come. And the moment he is brought is just a foretaste of a series of moments that will be yours. Seated around God's table, enjoying his bounty in his presence forever. In case we had any doubt that we were supposed to think these sorts of thoughts again and again. uh, To remember the moment that our Messiah brought us and make sure we're living the right way in light of it. Uh, Jesus made sure there would be no doubt by giving us a feast to remember him. Our Messiah who brought a new moment and all the things that he brings for sinners like you and I. Uh, Let's prepare our hearts for the Lord's table with gladness. Would you join me in prayer?